Welcome to Korean True Crime with me, your host, Mimi Mizigo. When Yoon created her profile on a chatting app searching for friends, she never imagined the boy who responded would start the countdown to her murder 26 days later. With more than seven people involved, not one person stopped to care for 15-year-old Yoon. Thank you to Vix Mack, Lala, Ben Jones, Ashley Rigby, William White, Jiwon Edwards, Nico, Elijah Hancock, Anominom, Dr. Bob, Maya96, Lumos, and Emma Brown for your support on Patreon. Thank you for voting on today's episode topic. If you'd like to join my patrons, you'll receive ad-free early access episodes, weekly Korean true crime vocabulary hinting at the content of the next episode, exclusive access to vote on future episode topics, and occasional bonus content. If you'd like to support me with your love, find me on most social media sites at Korean true crime. Sources are available for free on Patreon. Warning, today's episode contains some graphic descriptions of the torture of a child. Listener discretion is advised. What was that? In early 2014, a 15-year-old girl we only know as her family name, Yoon, moved to a new high school in Gimhae, a city just northwest of Busan. Her parents had divorced and she lived with her father, but she felt lonely. It didn't help that she was bullied at school for her accent. She did as many teenagers did in the 2010s. She made friends online. It wasn't unusual, but it was dangerous. Her father had no idea who she was messaging in the late hours of the night. Yoon met a boy online that she thought was kind, handsome, and mysterious. She immediately felt a connection, and after just a short time, the two were calling each other boyfriend and girlfriend. But the boy she was messaging was Gim Gyumin, a 24-year-old man who was preying on teenage girls online. His intentions were anything but innocent. Gim Gyumin began grooming Yoon into trusting him entirely. He was slowly trying to convince her to meet in person. After he had learned that Yoon had no friends of her age, expressed his intention to introduce her to a circle of his own friends. Kim Gyu-min had an extensive network of young female friends, and in response to her disclosure, he promptly connected her with four of his friends who were also navigating their first year of high school. It seemed sweet to her that he was willing to help her socialize and open up his friend group to her. The friends that he introduced her to were Miss Ha, Miss Young, Miss Jung, and another girl named Miss Young. Though it's worth noting that the two young girls were unrelated, they just shared a very common last name. I'll try my best to reduce confusion about who and which one of them I'm referring to throughout the episode. Kim Gyu-min eventually suggested that the friends have an in-person meeting, perhaps to alleviate any paranoia or concerns that this teenage girl would have about meeting a 24-year-old man from a chatting app. The four girls and Kim Gyu-min agreed to meet and they began to hang out a lot more regularly. But Kim Gyu-min started inviting over his other friends, his adult friends, 24-year-old Ha Jae Bin, 25-year-old Lee Jae-gun, and another 24-year-old man named Mr. E, whose name remained undisclosed to the public throughout his trials. The group began to spend a lot more time together and were Yoon's sole basis for understanding what a healthy friendship is. As a naive girl at a new school without close friends or any responsible adults in her life checking in on her, she was unable to recognize the red flags with her friendship with these four adult men. 
After a little over a month of friendship, Kim Gyu Min convinced her to run away from home to live with him. Together, Yoon and Kim Gyu Min went over to a motel on March 15th. Gyu Min drove her out of Gimhae to the city of Busan, where he promised that he would take care of her and cover all of her living expenses as long as she was with him. He was telling her everything that a 15-year-old girl wanted to hear. In her mind, she likely envisioned a fantasy life with her older boyfriend. However, the situation changed drastically as they arrived at the motel. Gim's attitude towards the girl he had been grooming for weeks suddenly changed. Yoon was no longer his girlfriend. She was his prisoner. The three other men were already at the motel. Ha Jae-bin, Lee Jae-gun, and Mr. E had already posted on Facebook and other social media websites advertising that they had a 15-year-old girl who was available to quote-unquote spend the night with men. These posts received a lot of attention, and in that same day, Yoon was being forced into child sex work to an, on average, three men a day, but some days as many as eight men. The posts included restrictions on who could be a client, stating that no young men would be allowed. The three men were getting close to 1.2 million won a day, or 900 US dollars. Kim Yoo Min had left at this point after he dropped Yoon off at the motel, and she would never see him again. The day after Yoon ran away from home, her father reported her as missing. After seeing CCTV footage, the police saw that Yoon returned home actually four days later on March 19th, accompanied by two men. This happened when her father was at work. Their purpose was to retrieve her desktop computer, the device that she had used for chatting with Kim Gyu Min on Kakao Talk. The police already knew that she had talked to Kim Gyu Min because he was the last person that she had called on the phone before her disappearance but the authorities remained unaware of Kim Yoo Min's whereabouts at that specific time. The intensifying police search for Yoon unnerved the three men. Fearing legal repercussions, they eventually decided to return Yoon to her father. However, this came with a really dark side. They resorted to blackmail and threats, coercing Yoon into silence about what they had done to her. Yoon agreed to anything and everything they said and returned home on March 29th at 9pm. Despite their threats, Yoon broke down, tearfully revealing everything to her father. She told told her father that she was being forced to stay at the motel, sleep with random strange men, was being starved and beaten. She told him about the three men who said that they had been to prison before and were watching her. She also told him that she feared that they would come and find her again because they knew where she lived. Somehow, word got out to the men that she had told her father what had happened. Her father had called the detective in charge of her disappearance case that they would visit the police station in the morning the following day, on March 30th. But her father, who is very involved in his Christian church, decided that they needed to visit his church first at the Sunday service. Yoon was taken to the girls' service at a high school by her father while he went to his usual service. During the gathering, witnesses reported that two girls, later identified as the two young girls, appeared at the church wearing heavy makeup which made them stick out like a sore thumb. The girls came inside and asked Yoon to come talk to them outside. Yoon reluctantly followed the two girls and unfortunately, Yoon would never be seen again by her father. After the church services concluded, Yoon's father noticed her disappearance once again and promptly reported it to the detective. However, the police, repeating their earlier assumption, believed that she had just run away on her own. They advised her father to report it to the Busan police since she disappeared under Busan 
jurisdiction, making it a different legal area this time. Yet when he attempted to report it to the Busan Yangjae police, they directed him back to Gimhae police, emphasizing that the ongoing investigation was in Gimhae. The disheartening reality unfolded as it seemed that none of the police officers were actively concerned about Yoon's disappearance, and there was a lack of clarity on which jurisdiction was responsible for the case. The Gimhae detective asserted that there was no criminal charges that could be brought, and so he indicated that the women and youth department would handle the case as that of a runaway child. This involved checking homeless camps and shelters. Despite Yoon's father providing detailed information, the case remained classified as a runaway, not as a missing persons or a kidnapping, resulting in limited resources being allocated to finding her over the next 20 days. After the two young girls returned Yoon to her captors, she was once again forcibly prostituted by the men. Posts on Facebook and other social media sites advertised that a 15-year-old girl was available and dozens of men responded eagerly. There was no shortage of pedophiles in just Busan and Ulsan area. The men moved Yoon from motel to motel day after day staying in a new area and constantly watched her. On April 4th at 10.30 p.m., Yoon managed to access Facebook through one of the men's most mobile phones in an attempt to seek help. Unfortunately, her efforts were in vain and the men caught her. They were angry that she had exposed their location and began to hit her repeatedly. Yoon had received physical abuse from the men prior to this, but the situation took a severe turn after this incident. Two days later, on April 6th at 11 p.m., the men and Yoon checked into a motel in Dalsa Daegu, aiming to distance themselves from the location that might have been logged on her Facebook. The cycle of violence persisted as the men intensified their assaults, pressuring Yoon to disclose every detail that she shared with her father. At their new motel, they brought over the other four 15-year-old girls. These girls, like Yoon, found themselves very far from home. Upon their arrival, they encountered Yoon in a distressing state, marked by bruises, signs of malnourishment, and evident exhaustion. While the exact emotions experienced by the other four girls remain unknown, they were then coerced by the three men, Lee Jae-gun, Mr. E, and Ha Jae-bin into physically abusing Yoon. The men told the girls that each of them would take turns fighting Yoon one-on-one. If Yoon was able to beat any of them, she could go free, but it seems that perhaps they would take her place. Yoon was weak and unable to defend herself as the girls took turns beating her to the ground. The men laughed at the scene, not caring about Yoon or the other four girls. Following Yoon's inability to defend herself and receiving multiple wounds, from the abuse, Yi Jae-gun, the eldest of the three men, pulled Yoon's head back as she knelt on the ground. He began to strike her throat with the side of his hand in a backhanded chopping motion. Yoon was left barely able to breathe after he went and retrieved a fan and a bucket and continued to beat her with various objects from the motel room. Yi Jae-gun also retrieved a ramyun cup and filled it to the top with two bottles of soju, a Korean clear liquor, and forced her to drink and eat the food. The disgust mix of liquor, spicy noodles, and the blood from her throat made her vomit onto the floor. After hitting her again, Lee Jae-gun forced her to eat the vomit off of the floor. The men didn't just want Yoon to suffer. They wanted to dehumanize a 15-year-old girl. The other girls continued to join in on the beatings, hitting her and ridiculing her. She laid on the ground in horrific pain and delirious from both dehydration and malnourishment. She begged the people in the room for water. 
E.J. Gunn mocked her for asking for water and agreed to give it to her, but instead he boiled water in an electric kettle, which can reach up to 100 degrees Celsius or over 200 degrees Fahrenheit. He poured the boiling water over her body and face, causing scalds across her skin, which formed peeling blisters across her body. It's possible that these burns were mostly second-degree burns, but could have been third-degree burns as they were not treated in any way. If she cried too loudly or asked to go home, she was beaten again, despite her peeling skin. The other girls in the room were also made to pour boiling water over her again. E.J. Gunn refused to take her to the hospital, knowing that his crimes would be revealed if he did. To continue her torment, the men refused to let Yun sleep, making her constantly stand, sit, or move around the room, despite the extreme discomfort from her burns. To torment her mentally, they made her memorize multiplication facts and assaulted her more if she became confused or made a mistake. To them, she was no longer human, but truly they were the ones who were no longer human. They were monsters. On April 9th, 25 days after she was first kidnapped by Kim Gyumin, at 10 p.m., the three men, one of the young girls and Yoon, were driving around Daegu and stopped near Daosung County on the side of the road. This is a more rural part of the city, as someone who lives in Daegu. The three men were playing a game of Gomok, which is a Korean version of the game Go. The three men decided to make a bet. While Yoon was laying, unable to move in the back of the car, whoever lost the game would assault Yoon next. They started their game and Yoon asked to exit the car to relieve herself because she was unable to even get herself up out of the car. Her condition was that bad. She wasn't even able to stand up on her own and she needed one of the men to hold her up as she went to the bathroom outside on the side of the road. After she returned to the car, as a joke, one of the men asked her, If you die, who would you like to die with you? Yoon didn't hesitate to raise her hand and point at Lee Jae-gun, the man who had made her suffer the most. This answer angered Lee Jae-gun, who kicked her to the ground and began stomping on her with his feet. She pointed again at Yang, who chose to join in the beatings after being pointed to as well. She grabbed a rock off the ground and began striking Yoon in the head. It's surprising that this blow to the head didn't kill Yoon after all she had endured. She was still alive. The group continued to beat her after they returned to the motel. After a lot of physical abuse that evening, Yoon passed away at 12.30 a.m. on April 10th in the backseat of the car. Her only cause of death listed is sudden cardiac arrest due to dehydration, but it's clear to see that there were more factors involved in her passing. I want to clarify, cardiac arrest is not a heart attack, which often gets confused. Cardiac arrest is the sudden stop of a heartbeat which leads to the lack of blood flow to the brain and other organs, leading to a person to lose consciousness and die. Cardiac arrest can occur during a heart attack, but these are not the same thing. When the men discovered her dead later that morning, they made a plan to dispose of her body in the dead of night the next day. At 2 a.m., April 11th, Lee Jae-gun, Yang, and one of the other girls drove her body to an orchard in Changyang County in South Gyeongsang Province, which is known for its wetlands. They came to the forested area and began to dig a hole large enough for Yoon's body. They dug a really deep hole and then buried her body, but they knew they had to cover up what they had done even more. They had to make her unrecognizable if the body was discovered. So they poured gasoline on her face and her body and set her on fire before covering her in dirt and rocks and burying her 
her in the woods. The next day, however, the paranoid group returned to the scene, dug up the grave, and dragged her body back to their car and put her in the trunk. They would have her body with them until a day and a half later on the 14th when they carried her body from the side of a quiet road near Guangok Bridge in the same county to a mountain that was near the road. The two women used their phones as flashlights in the darkness while they found the grave that the three of them have dug the previous day. This time, they had a new idea to hide her body from being discovered. They'd bought quick mix cement with them and began to dump cement all over her body, but they didn't have enough to cover her body, so most of the grave was filled with rocks and dirt. They were confident that her body wouldn't ever be discovered. It looked like undisturbed dirt in the middle of a mountain that wasn't often walked on. How often are remote mountains visited by people? How likely was it for an animal to dig that deep and expose the concrete? They truly believed that they had committed the perfect crime and would never be caught. The police had no leads on the whereabouts of Yoon or her kidnappers. In fact, the case was actually still categorized as a runaway child at this point, which is not taken as seriously by any means. Her father insisted that she was kidnapped kidnapped, however, and had told the police everything that his daughter had confessed to him, but it was too late now. Ten days after Yoon's murder, on April 19, 2014, Ha Jae-bin, Lee Jae-gun, and Mr. E went to a Nore business room in Yusang, Daejeon. A business room is like a private room that usually has a long U-shaped or L-shaped sofa next to a large table with a karaoke machine, or just speakers or a TV in the room. Different business rooms have different setups. Some are like private karaoke rooms that offer alcoholic drinks and foods. Some are room salons that have sex workers who offer services. Anyways, the three men had gone to a seedy private singing room club and were having drinks with the 15-year-old young girl, the girl who had attacked Yoon in the car and helped bury her. The men had still been searching for pedophiles who were willing to pay money on a chatting app. However, now they had turned their violence towards Yang, who would now be trafficked to men. They had gotten a response from a 45-year-old man and asked him to meet them at a motel nearby. Once the man was in the motel room with Yang, they cornered him and threatened that they would expose him as a pedophile if he didn't give them all of his money. The man believed that this was just a scam and most likely they wouldn't actually act on their threat, so he tried to leave the room. However, the three men dragged him into the parking lot where they beat him up. The assault was captured on CCTV showing the three men mercilessly beating the man, focusing mainly on his head. During the assault, Ha Jae-bin grabbed a 20-kilogram or 45-pound clay pot that was outside and smashed it over the man's head. The man appeared to be unconscious and was dragged into the car, shoved in the back seat, and the men drove away. Three hours later, the man woke up and begged for help, but the men stopped the car and continued to attack him by putting out cigarettes on his skin and holding a lighter's flame to him to get him to reveal his credit card pin. Shortly later, the man died of his injuries in the car. The men didn't have a plan for his body and decided just to abandon their car altogether on the side of the road with the body inside. They took his jewelry, watch, cell phone, and pawned them to get money to buy a replacement car in the meantime. They also used his credit card. The men were on the run for the next three days until they were apprehended separately after being seen on CCTV at the motel. But the men were arrested for the murder of the John, not for what happened to Yoon. The police didn't know they had any connection to Yoon except that just a few days prior, Kim Gyu-min had been arrested in connection to Yoon's disappearance because remember his phone number was the last contact Yoon had called before she disappeared. The police received a report from a classmate of Young's who she had bragged to about killing Yoon and burying her body. 
At that point, the runaway child case was clearly changed to a kidnapping potential murder case, and they were pressing hard to get information from Kim and Young. He did eventually give up the other three men and the involvement of four of the high school girls. However, after an investigation and multiple false testimonies by everyone involved, three of the girls confessed that they had only hurt Yoon because they had no choice or they would have suffered the same fate as her. The parents of the girls also claimed the girls had been blackmailed and abused by the men. On October 31st, 2014, the prosecution requested five to seven years for the three girls in prison. The three girls, the first young girl, Ha and Jung, were all accused of intentional negligent murder. The prosecution argued that because the girls chose to act despite knowing that the victim could die from their actions and that they neglected to take her to the hospital or help her when she was dying, it could be considered intentional murder. They also argued that they were allowed to leave unharmed and could access phones and adults who could have gotten help for Yoon prior to her death. However, the defense brought up that as such young girls, they did not know the consequences of death following an assault and were too afraid to refuse the men's demands and threats. The girls feared that they would be in the same situation as Yoon and acted as if their life was on the line. The girls also knew that the men were able to find Yoon wherever she went, so they had reason to believe that the men had means to also find them. The three girls did show remorse in court and cried during their final statements. They each asked for atonement and forgiveness. Ultimately, the defending attorney stated that the three girls are victims of society's failure to protect children and that Yoon and her father had gone to the police who failed to protect her with urgency, which led to her death more than the three girls' negligence or involvement. In the end, Ha and Jung, who had the least involvement, were sentenced to eight years in prison with a chance of a reduced sentence of six years. Yang was sentenced to nine years in prison with a chance of a reduced sentence of six years as well. Young was given a heavier sentence as she also assisted in disposing of Yoon's body with the other Yang girl who stayed with the men. Victim advocate groups in Korea were unhappy with the outcome of the case because these three girls, who were victims and perpetrators, were handed sentences higher than the prosecution was even seeking. But ultimately, the public still wanted to give the girls a maximum sentence of 15 years for a minor. During the same trial, Kim Gyu-min was sentenced to luring a minor for the purpose of prostitution for three years in prison, despite the prosecution's request to give him five years for each of the teenage girls he lured into the group. The trial for the three men, Ha Jae-bin, Lee Jae-gun, and Mr. E, was much later on on February 13th, 2015. The men were indicted on multiple charges, including murder and prostitution of a minor. There was no question about their guilt, as the men had taken trophy photos of Yoon's corpse after they had murdered her. The judge stated, After beating a teenage girl to death, a week later they buried her without hesitation, and then committed another murder less than 10 days later. It's questionable if they have respect for the lives of others, or if they feel any remorse. They're in a hurry to pass the blame onto one another, and if they had not been arrested in Daejeon they would have committed another crime. The men tried every method to have a reduced sentence, stating they had mental illnesses, impulse control disorders, and even the tried-and-true method of claiming that they were intoxicated. But the prosecution sought the death penalty for the men, and the court ruled that the death penalty is too extreme of a punishment. The death penalty is very rarely given down, but it's often sought in these cases as a stance from the prosecution. The court ultimately decided that they did not believe that the men had intentionally murdered Yoon and could repent for their wrongdoings through life imprisonment. Lee Jae-gun and Ha Jae-bin were sentenced to life in prison, whilst Mr. E was sentenced to 35 years in prison. 
Young, who was the most involved girl, was sentenced to nine years in prison with a chance of a reduced term for six years as well. Now, in 2023, the two girls, Ha and Jong, who were the least involved, have been released from prison. But it's unknown if either of the young girls have been released, as they are also eligible for release under their minimum prison term. In cases such as this, it can be challenging to define whether the individuals are the assailant or a victim. It's no wonder that the Juvenile Act, which limits the maximum sentence for minors, was deemed appropriate for their sentencing. However, after this case garnered significant media attention, Koreans began to question if this would bring any real change. Would schools implement programs to prevent bullying? Would there be any targeted programs to aid boys and girls who are victims of human trafficking? Would there be stricter consequences for teenage violence? Unfortunately, school violence still remains a major issue in Korea. Despite the introduction of the Special Act on School Violence Prevention in 2004, no progress has been made. The law is typical in its anti-bullying approach, but it's school authorities who are responsible for punishment, leading to inconsistent measures. This can also result in covering up violence rather than addressing it. One of the main reasons for the ineffectiveness of school prevention committees is that the most leaders lack legal experience, and many professionals don't attend meetings as it's unpaid. Shockingly, law firms even advertise supporting bullies in legal disputes. Reports of bullying or violence are often delayed until the perpetrator graduates in order to avoid affecting their college entrance exams. This culture must be changed if we are to make progress in combating violence. Bullying is an issue that doesn't discriminate and affects schools all over the country, not just the privileged few. It can ruin one's reputation, so it's undoubtedly a shameful act. However, having a negative record is even worse than being a bully in the first place? It doesn't make sense. According to the Ministry of Education School Violence Prevention Committees, there were more than 20,000 incidents of bullying reported from 2004 to 2020 total, so 16 years and 20,000 reports. But in 2020 alone, following COVID, there are 15,600 reports in just one year. And of these 15,600 reports of bullying and violence, less than 0.2% of the students were expelled. Only 4% were even moved to a different class than the victim. So that means in 96% of the cases, the victim had to remain in the same class as their bully. 50% had to do volunteer work for the school, 63% had to make a written apology, and the most common punishment, also the most ineffective punishment, at 80% of cases, the bully was just banned from contacting the victim, which reportedly means very little outside of school hours. From many Koreans' experiences and testimonies, it's clear that bullying is a widespread problem that has been normalized far too much. Media about Korea has often tried to tackle the bullying that occurs in schools with the glory and all of us are dead and a lot of K-dramas depicting violence that is all too common. This is not to say that bullying is a Korea problem, but many Korean schools have a very unique hierarchical structure. Kids in high-tier groups known as Ijin look down upon lower-tier groups known as Ijin, and the lowest-tier known as Samjin students are treated horribly. 
It isn't unusual for the bullied victims to experience money extortion, blackmailing, cyberbullying, physical violence, or sexual violence. This hierarchical bullying follows them into their mandatory military service and into a lot of workplace cultures. If schools are similar in your area, let me know about it on any of my socials. I'd love to hear about it. Also, if you'd like to hear about the cases that inspired the show The Glory, I would definitely be interested in making an episode about the different cases because they were so much worse than the show even depicted. In the end, Yoon's story shines a spotlight on the rampant bullying issue in Korea, and I urge everyone to take an active role to safeguard our community's children. Her story is a stark reminder of how cruel and manipulative even kids can be, especially in this digital age. Society, educational institutions, and policymakers need to recognize the gravity of the situation. Implementing stricter punishments and adopting a resolute zero-tolerance stance against bullying is crucial. Emotional and a physical abuse leaves deep scars that can have a lasting impact on a child's future. The time to take action is now. Let this serve as a catalyst for change, prompting us to create a safe environment where no child lives in fear of their peers. We need a society that prioritizes empathy, understanding, and takes swift action against bullying. By investing in the well-being and potential of our youngest members, we can create a better future. Change will only happen through a collective effort. As always, thank you for listening to Korean True Crime. I hope you enjoyed today's episode topic. If you'd like to vote on future episode topics, please join Korean True Crime's Patreon today. If you'd like to hear more, follow the show wherever you listen, and be sure to leave me some feedback. That might stop while. See you next time.